0: all of you to uh, Bible class here at St. Paul's Lutheran and De Pair. And all of you in our listening audience, we are glad to have you as we continue our study of the book of Romans. And so today we're going to pick up at Romans chapter 3, verse 21. Romans 3 21. Now, we have been through now these first couple of chapters that have made it very clear that there is nothing that makes us, puts us, right with God. There is no contribution we make, and all are under the judgment of God. His wrath and all of a sudden in verse 21 he says but now but now the righteousness of God has been manifested up to now we have been talking about what you might say was our righteousness and it doesn't exist We don't have a righteousness. It's unacceptable to God. But now, God's righteousness is, it says, manifested. The best word is actually, it's revealed and out in the open. It's revealed and out in the open. And as we've talked about this, The justification, the righteousness of God is the justification of God, the salvation of God. So suddenly Paul totally switches gears. Now, this particular passage in Romans, uh, Romans 3, 21 to 26, is called the key to the book of Romans the key to the book of Romans. We looked at verses uh, 16 and 17. The gospel is the power of God uh, to salvation to all that believe. That's the theme, kind of. But this verse, these verses are the key to Romans. God has written His Word. God has revealed His Word. And one word is a word of law. But that's not the last word. If that was the last word, then the book of Romans wouldn't go any farther than verse 20, chapter 3. Through the law comes the knowledge of sin. Period. No more book. Nothing else to say. But now we have another word From God. The small called articles of the uh, Lutheran Confession state that these verses state the first and chief article of the faith. Justification by faith is the article on which the church stands or falls. Stands or falls. If we lose the article of justification by faith, we are left with nothing but law. We are left with no hope. So this is what the church is built on. Now it says, but now. Now is used by Paul in several passages, but listen to this one from... Second Corinthians six 2 Corinthians 6.2, Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. So that applies here, now. Now it's time. Now it's time. So it says, But now the righteousness of God has been revealed, is out in the open apart from the law, apart from keeping the law. And this phrase ties in with um, verse 20, for by works of the law no human being will be justified. So this verse picks it up. Since you can't be justified by the works of the law, this is a righteousness that is apart from the works of the law. It doesn't have anything to do with the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. Now, we've talked about this word law. Apart from the law certainly means apart from keeping the commandments, the moral law of Moses. But that it's been revealed through the law and the prophets, that we're back to the Torah. Remember we talked about it. The Torah is both law and gospel. So what he's saying is the whole Old Testament bears witness to this righteousness of God. That would be very important for the Jewish audience. Because what he's saying is this is not new. It's always been around. And I know it's very easy for us to conclude that if you're in the Old Testament, you're saved by keeping the law, and if you're in the New Testament, you're saved by Jesus Christ. Wrong, wrong, wrong. The people in the Old Testament were saved by their faith in the promises of God. That he would send the Savior, and in the New Testament, the Savior came. And so, there is no salvation by works, never has been. Does not exist. It was created by human beings distorting what God said. The only person that could was saved was Adam and Eve before they fell. But once they fell, that was it. Nobody. And God never intended for them to save themselves. They would have to be saved by Him which is why, as soon as they fell, He gave the first gospel promise, Genesis 3.15. So immediately, God gives a gospel promise because He does not... Nobody's going to be saved by works. Okay? Nobody. And so... The law and the prophets in the Old Testament have borne witness to the fact that it's the righteousness of God, the justification of God, the salvation of God that counts, the only way. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. Through faith in Jesus Christ, faith justifies solely. Now, let's talk about faith. Faith is not a work that saves you. Faith is not a work that saves you. Faith is what God works in your heart to believe his righteousness to believe his promises. He allows it to he allows you to call it my faith but he worked it. Faith is not a work that causes or affects your salvation as a work. It is the apprehension and comprehension of the promises of God worked by God. Faith we refer to as a receiving means. Now, a means is something that makes something happen. This is A receiving means we receive faith, we receive the promises, but it's not a work that we generate. When when we say, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved, it doesn't mean that you're capable of doing that. It means that God will work it. Through faith, faith justifies solely for the reason and on account that it is a means and instrument that embraces God's grace and the merit of Christ and the promise of the gospel. So, faith is this. God lays the gospel promise before us that through Jesus Christ and His merit and his work, our sins are forgiven, and we have eternal life, and we are right with God. That message is remember our theme verse the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. In other words, when these gospel promises are laid before people, they will work faith. They will bring about faith in the promise of God. In the promises of God. His promises work the faith so that you embrace, you hear these promises the Holy Spirit comes to you and says, and you say, I believe. But it's the work of God so that you can apprehend it and embrace it, and it's yours. So faith is a receiving means for what God's promises give. So it is by faith alone, as we say, apart from the works of the law. Um, It's a very important concept that Christ and the word of Christ and the promises of Christ are actually what works the faith. Uh, At the seminary, when you're first learning to preach, they beat it into your head. You don't have to say every week, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Because the object of faith is more important than the faith. In other words, you can preach a whole sermon about Jesus Christ and all He's done for you and say, Amen. Your last line doesn't have to be, now believe it. Because by proclaiming the very promises of God to the people... people will come to faith in Jesus Christ. So the object of faith, Jesus Christ, is more important than the faith itself because it is that object that works the faith. And we begin to see just how we contribute absolutely nothing. Nothing. We sit there like dumb sinners and listen and say, Oh, I believe that because God did it to you. We do nothing. We do nothing. We do nothing. All right, so this faith is a gift of God as well as the fact that uh, the promises of God, the gospel is proclaimed, and we receive His gifts, embrace them by the faith He works in us. Now, the verse goes on. For there is no distinction... For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There is no partiality with God. Paul has made the case throughout the first two and a half chapters that there is absolutely no distinction, none between the Jew, the circumcised Jew, and the uncircumcised Gentile, because both are sinners. That's what this is saying. All have sinned, and the word is actually lack the glory of God. Don't have it because of the sin. Don't have it. In other words, we lack the wisdom and knowledge of God, which is acknowledges and glorifies Him. Okay? We lack What we need, okay, to know and glorify God. And no one has it. We're back to that recurring theme Jew or Gentile, nobody has it. Nobody. Now, they're all in the same condition and are justified by His grace as a gift. Okay? As a gift. Alright? Verse 24 uh, says, and are justified. Another way to put it, while being declared right by God, by His grace as a gift, while being declared right with God as a gift of grace. uh, Would be another way to put it. Now, grace means gratis, undeserved, without reason, and without cause. Why would God do this to a bunch of sinners like this? can you think of any good reason no well he loved us but the bottom line is we didn't make any we didn't do anything to make him feel kindly toward us it is without understanding that suddenly he would just say I'm going to save you. God was not obligated to do this. He didn't have to do it when we were all caught up in sin and the world was a mess he destroyed it at the time of Noah things were not God was not obligated to do anything else but he did he did. He would do it. In other words, he, okay, we are declared right with God by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Okay, now let's talk about uh, the word redemption. Redemption implies a ransom. The word implies that there was a life given for the lives of others. Um, The old story uh, about buying things back been used for years. There was a little boy who had a sailboat, and he was out at the lake, and he was sailing his boat in the middle of the lake, and the boat got away from him. It was his boat. Never saw it again. One day he's walking down the street, and there's his boat in a toy store window. So he goes in, and he says... That's my boat. And the owner says, that's fine, but you're going to have to buy it. So he bought it back. It was his to begin with. Now he buys it back. We were gods to begin with. We belong to God. Okay? We got lost. Actually became the property of Satan. And God decided to buy us back with the price of his own son. Okay? His own son. He made him to be sin who knew no sin. Galatians says he made his son a curse for us. A curse. a curse as the ransom that would buy us back. Buy us back. Okay, so the redemption that is in Christ Jesus whom God put forward it means he sat He set it before us, a plan, a purpose, an intent. He knew what he was about. This was uh, for us, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood. Now let's talk about the word propitiation. The Greek word is a word that translates an Old Testament word. And the Old Testament word is the word for the atonement cover on the Ark of the Covenant. Now let's think back to the Day of Atonement the Day of Atonement in the Old Testament, Leviticus 16. On that day, Aaron the High Priest would choose two lambs or goats. One would be called the scapegoat. Aaron would lay his hands on the scapegoat to signify that the sins of Israel had been placed on that goat, and that goat would be let out in the wilderness to die, signifying that the sins of Israel had been taken away. The other sheep or goat was sacrificed. and Aaron would take some of the blood and go inside to the Holy of Holies. It was the only time anybody was allowed in there. Once a year. He was told that if he looked at the Ark of the Covenant, he would die. He swung incense as he went in so the incense would block the view of the ark. you think his heart was beating a little fast? And then he sprinkled the blood of that goat or lamb on the top of the atonement cover as a propitiation... An atonement payment for the sins of Israel. That's what's behind the word propitiation. It's all the way back to the Old Testament. We have a day of atonement. Our day of atonement is Good Friday. And the blood of Jesus Christ was sprinkled before the throne of God to pay for our sins that day. So notice how it says that it's a propitiation by His blood. Blood had to be shed to forgive sin. The blood of lambs and goats foreshadowed the blood of the Son of God. The book of Hebrews lays that all out for us. So, the redemption is accomplished. God put His own Son forward with a purpose as the propitiation by His blood... To be received by faith. By faith, we realize, we believe that Jesus has redeemed us. By faith, we realize that the blood of Christ has been sprinkled before the throne of God to pay for our sins and it is uh, by faith, received by faith. So right here, Paul is explaining the entire plan of salvation and how God saved us by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. All right, now let me pause there. Any questions? Because if you don't get this, you're lost for another fifteen chapters. Yes, Mark. Yes, and and yes, the translation of the Hebrew word uh, atonement cover. Is many times called the mercy seat, and it was the top of the ark with the cherubim with their wings over it, okay. And it was gold, and uh, but it was the mercy seat. It represented the ark of the covenant represented the presence of God on earth. And you remember when they used to pitch the tabernacle and put the ark in, then the pillar of cloud would descend on the ark. Presence of God. That's why no one could touch the ark, because it was the holiness of God, and we are sinful, and we can't approach God. Which is why it is so significant that... When Jesus Christ died on the cross of Calvary, the curtain to the Holy of Holies in the temple was torn in two. Now we can come to God. Our sins are forgiven. Now we can approach God. Now we can come. Yes, Yes. propitiation. The question is, could propitiation mean making the payment for? Yes. And what was the payment? The blood of Christ. As Luther put it, he redeemed us not with silver or gold, but with his holy precious blood and his innocent suffering... And death. So right here, we have the plan of God, and it's spelled out for us. Now, we're not quite done here. This was to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance, He had passed over former sins. All right. What does that mean? The people in the Old Testament knew the promises. But the fact is, Jesus Christ had not come and paid for their sins. He had not come and paid for their sins and all the sacrificial system in the Old Testament simply pointed to Christ that he would do this. What Paul is trying to say here is simply this. God allowed the people in the Old Testament before Christ to stand before Him and be His people in view of what Christ would do for them. What God could have done is just wiped them out, wiped the slate, treated them as enemies, but He passed over. In other words, He did not pour out All his wrath and anger over sin on these people in view of what Christ would do. Yes, Ruth. Yes, it does. Uh, the question is, does the Passover is this, what is this pointing us to? The What we're talking about here, the entire thing, could be subs, could be summed up in the words substitutionary atonement. Christ was our substitute and paid the price for us the concept of the substitutionary atonement goes all the way back to Passover. Now let me read you, this is from Exodus chapter 13, verse 15, and I want you to listen for... I want you to listen for a substitutionary atonement. For when Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, the Lord killed all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both the firstborn of man and the firstborn of animals. Therefore, I sacrifice to the Lord all the males that first open the womb, but all the firstborn of my sons I redeem. If you look at that, what it's saying is, to save the sons of Israel, the firstborn sons of Israel God killed, the firstborn sons of Egypt. A substitution to save. So this concept of substitutionary atonement goes all the way back. It's throughout the Bible. All the way back into Genesis, remember when the, 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 the boys went to Egypt and he wanted to. Uh, uh, Joseph was going to keep Benjamin. And uh, Joseph, uh, and the and the son said, "You're going to kill our father. He's the youngest." Somebody offered to stay instead of Benjamin, in his place to be his substitute. Judah. And what tribe was Jesus from? Judah. He was already foreshadowing that Judah would be a substitute. So this concept is throughout. Okay? And so Passover, okay, we can kind of relate all this. I mean, we, we don't want to push it too far But he did not pour out his wrath and punishment on the people before Jesus Christ who believed in him because of what Christ was going to do for them. Okay? What Christ was going to do for them. All right. It was to show his righteousness at the present time. so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus Christ. All right. What's being talked about here is simply the judge is righteous, he is righteous, and he declares people righteous. Through faith, okay? Not through works. God is showing His righteousness, His salvation, His justification in Jesus Christ. In Jesus Christ. Therefore, in God's plan, He does not punish people. who believe in Him based on what Jesus Christ did for them. He does not pour out all His wrath and punishment for sin. Okay. Now, then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. Sometimes Greek words sound even better than English words. The word for excluded is Ex That sounds better than excluded. E-ek-leste. They are excluded. No boasting based on works. No human being can boast. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. Faith stops all boasting. Faith stops all boasting. Works doesn't stop boasting. We like to boast about our works. We like to boast about the good things we do. But faith allows no boasting. Because we didn't do anything, we didn't do anything to boast about. God has done it. God is the one who brought all this about in His Son, Jesus Christ. God is the one that worked the faith in our hearts. All boasting is excluded because all of this is based on faith, not works. Now, I know it says a law of faith. Don't let that get you all hung up. Uh, The faith, they're simply talking about, he's simply talking about two diametrically opposed things. One is law, okay? One is works, one is faith, okay? So, the law of faith stops all boasting. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of law." See that pencil right in your Bible, Lutheran. This is Lutheran, okay? There is no more Lutheran passage in the New Testament, okay? It's absolutely clear. It not only states the positive, we're justified by faith, it states the negative apart from the works of the law. They are excluded. The works of the law are excluded. We always teach if, if any works get into the article of justification, we don't have any comfort. If anything depends on you, you don't have any comfort. When it all depends on God, we have perfect comfort. Because He's the one that has worked it perfectly. If anything depends on us, we are sinful. So. The positive, we're justified, we are declared right with God by faith, apart from the works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is He not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also. Since God is one, that goes all the way back to the Old Testament, all the way back to Deuteronomy 6. Who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Okay? So, he says there's no distinction. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And there's no distinction, circumcised or uncircumcised, among all those that believe, because they're all declared right with God by faith in Him. All right, now, before we read that last one, I want to read you a couple of paragraphs from the formula of Concord. And this basically sums up everything succinctly. And this is the doctrinal writings of the Lutheran Church in the Book of Concord. We believe, teach, and confess unanimously, in accord with the summary formulation of our Christian faith and confession described above, that a poor sinner is justified before God, that is, he is absolved, And declared utterly free from all his sins and from the verdict of well-deserved damnation and is adopted as a child of God and an heir of eternal life without any merit or worthiness on our part and without any preceding, present or subsequent works by sheer grace solely through the merit of the total obedience, the bitter passion, the death and resurrection of Christ our Lord, whose obedience is reckoned to us as righteousness. The Holy Spirit offers these treasures to us in the promise of the Gospel, and faith is the only means whereby we can apprehend, accept, apply them to ourselves, and make them our own. Faith is a gift of God, whereby we rightly learn to know Christ as our Redeemer in the word of the gospel, and to trust in Him, that solely for the sake of His obedience we have forgiveness of sins by grace, are accounted righteous and holy by God the Father, and are saved forever. There it is. There it is. Clearly spoken. The summary of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. The summary of what the Apostle Paul uh, is saying to us uh, today. Because this is now the Word of God to us. Not just the law, but the gospel. In the last verse, do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means, on the contrary, we uphold the law. So the logical question is, now that we have faith, we don't need the law anymore. Just get rid of it. Okay? Just get rid of it. No, Paul says, we uphold the law. Because if you don't uphold the law, and we don't hear the law, we won't believe we need the gospel. That's why when you come to church, we preach both law and gospel. The pastor assumes that when you come, you're either feeling pretty bad about yourself and need to hear the gospel, or you're feeling way too good about yourself and need to hear the law. So we got to preach both. God then takes that word and applies it to the hearts of the hearers, driving people to the gospel, working, creating, and strengthening faith. So we can't throw the law out, we have to have law and gospel every week. If we preached law every week, and only law, you would either feel bad all the time, or you'd just blow it off. If we preach gospel all the time, you'd be impossible to live with. You thought you were so good. So it takes law, and it takes gospel. And that's why you hear them every week. All right. We've got time for a couple of questions. Anything? Nothing? Well, then I'll hand out the tests. All right, now, then what's upcoming? There's a big question now for the Jewish Christians. And uh, the question goes like this. You mean... Uh, Abraham had no advantage. You mean Abraham was saved by faith? And so Paul logically deals with that. And the entire fourth chapter of Romans is on Abraham. Which will seek to resolve any issues that anybody has with their Jewish heritage and whether they are saved by faith. Is this just for us? Does it mean Abraham was just out in the dark and didn't know it? How do we... Reconcile all this. Chapter 4, will seek to do that next week. And so we will continue then. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Have a good week.